Giddy up! This is episode 41 of the Purely Pigskin Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Noyd, and with me this week to discuss the goings-on of the NFL in this 2022 season is my friend Colin Bannister. Colin, what's going on? Hey, buddy. How are you been? I've been well. I've been well. That's I gotta tell you. That's winning. That's, that's why. I, I, I knew the answer to that question before I even asked it. Hey, when both our teams are 2-0, you know we're going to have a good time here. <laughs> well, if my team was 2-0, we would have a great time, but it's not. But anyway. Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. I'm putting the cup before the yeah, horse. Yeah, you here. knew that too. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> uh, it's all good. No, I've been I've been well, though. You know what I've been uh, – I ordered this DVD series of a show I used to watch all the time growing up. Uh, you probably do know the show. It's uh, Perry Mason. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. You know that show? And so oh, I'm watching course, yeah. the whole thing through. all Nine seasons. I didn't realize it was on for so long. How many episodes a season? It's comparable to today, I think, in terms okay. of about 22 episodes, something like wow. that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's a lot. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm loving it. Well, that's great. Well, they don't make it like that anymore. Hey, if you give me a box set of Magnum PI, I'd be binge watching. So, for sure, you know what I mean. Like yeah. it's yeah, I I hear you. It's it's they don't make it like that anymore. No, and it's very interesting to go back and and watch these shows. And I love the old courtroom drama of it all. And and how many times he gets people to break on the stand? You know, it's unrealistic, but at the same time, it makes for great watching. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Even if you know what's coming, right? It's still dramatic. Yeah. It's still good. Yeah. 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 No, I, I hear that. Yeah. It's uh, old shows. I remember as a kid watching them when you were at your grandparents, they only got two stations and you saw all these reruns and you'd still watch them because they mm-hmm. were compelling. Yeah. So those are great memories. I learned too that uh, Perry Mason started in 1957, which was the same year that Leave it to Beaver came out. <laughs> <laughs> which lasted longer yeah well i had to have been leave it to beaver no well it must have been yeah it yeah seems you like know it was on forever leave it to beaver strikes a chord with me because on channel three barry ckvr when i was in middle school that was on at lunchtime 12 to 12 30 i used to watch leave it to beaver when i came home at lunch in like grade six yeah and it was still on and uh wow that's and Tony Dow is no longer with us, so it right. uh, <laughs> recently passed away. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. hey, time's flying. Sure does. Yeah. Well, now that we've aged ourselves, and <laughs> the whole audience is aware as two old guys talking football here, we might as well get to it. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, what what a fantastic uh, week too. You know, I just love the parody of the NFL. We talk about it all the time. So many great football games. Uh, some shockers, you know, you say it every every year, you say it every week, you say it, anybody on any given Sunday can beat anybody else. But once again, we were just treated to some great football games on Sunday. And I wish we had the time to sit here and go through all of them because <laughs> all of them are noteworthy in one way or another. Uh, Colts fans are pretty upset. You know, they're saying Jim Irsay is going to fire the whole team after their blowout loss to Jacksonville. Uh, but of course, I think we got to start not just because it's a very natural for us to start this way, but uh, I think the games were compelling. And actually, last week on the podcast, I had uh, Eric on, and we were talking about the Bengals Cowboys game, previewing that game, and who needed it more. We disagreed a little bit on that one. He thought the Cowboys needed it more. I thought the Bengals needed it more. In the end, it was the Cowboys that got the win, and I got to say, I was a little surprised by that result personally. I don't know what you thought about that, but huge win for the Cowboys and a, and a 
pretty damning loss, I got to say, for the Bengals. I know we're only two weeks in. I'm not one of those guys to raise alarm bells unnecessarily, but you don't want to be starting 0-2 when you're in a tough division, you're in a tough conference, and you know with that target on your back, everybody's giving you, giving you their best shot this year. Cincinnati going 0-2, not a great spot for them. Well, I, I think the key, what you're saying there is nobody wants to start 0-2. That's just, you know, if you've been watching football for any time, you know that that just is not uh, conducive to a successful season because 0-2 teams typically don't finish well, like 8-8, eight eight, uh, you know, 6-10, and 10, or I guess now we're into a 17-game schedule, so it's, it's not accurate. But, yeah, it, uh, you know... To talk about this game, I think very quickly, you look at, uh, at two things. The number one thing that stood out is once again, even after all that retooling, the Bengals line is a mess. Like you do not give up, what was it, 13 sacks in two weeks and expect, first of all, to keep your quarterback around for all that length of time. And number two, to be successful with your offense. Now they did come back, as you know, and tied it and uh, they seem to cement things a little bit there in the second half. But I think that the Cowboys were getting a little tired, to be honest with you, and that that, that helped the, the Bengals. But um, the other thing that really stood out to me, and uh, I wish this were not true, I don't say this because I dislike the person or I, I wish that they were terrible. I really wish they did well because – I think Dak Prescott works extremely hard. I think he's a leader because he he does all the little things right. It's just when he gets on the field, we run into problem, and the number one thing I have with him is accuracy. You saw it in week one. You saw some frustration from the wide receivers having once again to reach behind them on a little in, 15-yard in, and the ball's behind them. And... I just don't think that the Cowboys are going to be a winning team with Dak because he's inconsistent. And I, I just, I, I wish it weren't true. I wish he could turn it around, but I think they've spent their money. They've poured a lot of money into a person that has peaked at a level and is not going to be able to take him to the next level. So yeah, I, it's good to see that they won. I'm really happy for Cooper Rush. I like to see these, these underdogs come out of nowhere. I don't care who they play for. Um, and, and do the things he's doing. And I, I would love there. They're talking about bringing Dak back in a hurry. I think that's a mistake. I would like to see rush get about three or four starts here. I don't think they're going to let him, but I would love to see him have consistent. I don't say he's going to be a pro bowler, but I think it will, it will highlight the fact that Dak is not the guy because I think they can win with Cooper rush and, and, they don't want people to see that. They don't want people to see that, oh, man, we've got this multi-million dollar quarterback and we're winning without him. What do we do? They don't want that problem. Yeah, it's and I know as a Cowboys fan, you're watching them quite meticulously. I think someone like me who's coming at it a bit more from the outside, from the periphery, I like to keep up on the Cowboys. But, you know, I, I would point first to the injuries and say, you know, they, they lost, uh, what was it, Tyron Smith, uh, the stud left tackle there for the year. Yeah. That was a big loss. They started the year without Gallup. They lost Amari Cooper. You know, so they're always going to have to reinvent this offense, and they didn't really hit the ground running at the beginning of the season. Still a big win for them, though, over the Bengals. If they can, if they can scratch and claw and stay in games, then then who knows? I mean, uh, before the season started, I would have said this 
this division, the NFC East, is totally up for grabs. I don't know if I'd say that at this point because the Eagles just look so darn good. But, you know, even still, in the division and in the conference, there's a pathway to the playoffs for the Cowboys, I think, if if they can stick it in there. But uh, they're, they're going to need to improve. I would agree with you on that, definitely. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And so, I mean, that's that'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But I just think management has done a poor job in constructing a team. And so I'm not really high on them. Um, I, I wish them well, but I'm not really high on them. Yeah, of course, the, the crossover helps them, I think, because the division they're aligned with in the AFC is the South. So, of course, they get the Texans and the Jaguars down the stretch this year. Uh, I don't think the Commanders are going to do much. Uh, I don't want to write them off, but I, I don't see them really contending this year. So they got them a couple of times, of course. They got the Bears this year. So, you know, definitely some beatable teams. The Giants, I don't think, are up to the task. I know there's been some hype, hasn't there, around the Giants? That Well, this is it. And this is like something like there's so many, as you stated already, There's it's two weeks in the books. And there's some teams that are already going to the Super Bowl with the hype and there's other teams that are finished and there's teams on both ends of those, of that spectrum, the ones that are just unbeatable at this point And the ones that um, you still don't know what you got. Giants falls into that category big time because it's, it's a very, um, how do I say it? It's a very basic, like a nineties football team. Like it reminds me of a nineties football giants team that just pounds and, and the scratch and claw very much uh, is a description you can use for this team. And Daniel Jones, there's another guy I'm not really sold on. As far as for him, for me, it's decision-making. And uh, so they're a team that I'm interested to see how they play out. Yeah, I'm not really sure what uh, Coach Dabble's doing there either with uh, benching his best wide receivers and you know, I, I get it. You know, you want to play the guys that put in the most effort and buy into your philosophy and all of that. But and I, even with Kenny Galladay, you can make the argument that his skill set is declining somewhat, although he's still 28 years old. It's not exactly over the hill. But to, to sit Kadarius Tony to me is a very curious and unwise decision, in my opinion, because this guy, whenever he touches the football, looks electric. He showed last year in his limited time on the field that he could be a real playmaker for them, and he's barely playing any snaps, barely getting any touches for this team, and they're struggling to score points. I mean, at some point, don't you have to sit down as a coach and say, look, I've made my point to these guys. i got to get my best guys out there. We need to score points and win football games here. The question, it begs the question, what's going on behind the scenes? Like, you point out everything about Tony that makes perfect sense to you and I when, you know, when we see him play. What's going on there? Like, do we have a character issue? Like something's going on that would indicate to me that they don't want this guy to infect the team. Because if he becomes a leader and becomes popular because of the success on the field, you're going to get other guys following this example. And I, I think they're trying to nip something in the bud. That's just my assumption. That's what I'm reading off of this. But uh, I agree with you. Like if they were a one and one team going into this week or an 0-2 team, I think they, they've afforded them with two wins. They've afforded themselves the opportunity to do what they're doing with Tony, but it can't last because they're not going to win games every week like they've won the last two weeks. Yeah, and there have been enough uh, stories and grumblings uh, over the past year and a bit since Tony was drafted by the Giants about 
potential off field issues or just issues with practice and things of that nature. So I, I, I agree. I think there is something going on there for their sake. I think they got to get it fixed sooner rather than later, because outside of Saquon Barkley, they're really hurting for uh, weapons. Well, they are. And again, I, I'm not a huge Daniel Jones fan, in the sense of being the guy, being the guy like that is in your top five. I don't know if I put him in my top 10. And when you've got a guy managing, he's more of a manager to me. You need, you need enhancements, tools, weapons around him to at least take advantage of the things that he does offer. And they're not doing that right now. So yeah, I, uh, I'm really interested to see what this Giants team is going to be in three weeks time, for example. 2-0 today, what are they going to be like in five weeks? Well, let's keep it moving. Uh, Got to go talk about my Dolphins a little bit after yeah. that barn burner up in Baltimore there. Uh, and I got to admit, I, I was writing them off after the opening kickoff. <laughs> you know, over the years, the Ravens have had our number. Uh, with the exception of last year when we really pelted them with the cover zero and they couldn't handle it. Uh, That was, of course, when we had a different head coach, Brian Flores, and a defensive-minded coach. And uh, that was an entertaining game to watch. It was great to get the win last year. But before that, as far back as I can remember, we've always struggled to deal with the Ravens, whether it be the regular season or the few times that we've actually made it to the playoffs. They've knocked us out a couple of times. So usually not a great game for Miami. You couple that with, you know, this is our first game on the road this year because we got a home game against the Patriots in week one. Uh, John Harbaugh was, I think, 10-2 and two in season home openers over the course of his career. So everything was pointing to a Ravens win here. And when they took the opening kickoff down for seven, Devin Duvernay ran it all the way back. I thought, oh, boy, here we go again. Uh, they built up quite a lead. And unbelievably, but fantastically. <laughs> well, like 28-7 Ravens at half, right? In NFL regular season play, teams that led by 21 points going into the fourth quarter, 21 points or more going into the fourth quarter, were 170 and 0. So any team that had led by 21 points going into the fourth quarter in regular NFL season action in history had been victorious. And now they're one seventy and one. Like that—that's crazy. Now that, like you think about that, you think about that. That is—I don't know. What do you call that? A stat or just a like a? It's not a stat, but it's it's a it's a reference point, and it blows you away. And then when you couple that, now listen, I don't want to take anything away from Miami, but what were the Ravens doing in the fourth quarter? Did they stop? and say, hey, this 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 game today is only 45 minutes long because they stopped. It wasn't the only team this past week that did that. But what was that? A Ravens team that since 2000, right, when they won the Super Bowl with no quarterback, right, that was the first team in history that you could have put a German Shepherd at quarterback and they, <laughs> they might have won. They might have won, yeah. right? You know, um, I remember that Super Bowl against the Giants. is the first Super Bowl I ever taped on VHS. And as soon as I was done, I taped over it because the game was a blowout from the beginning. It it was was all the defense. It was all boring because it's just all defense, right? Like you, you can appreciate defense, but it's all defense. But since that time, what have the Ravens been known for? Now I know they've had Lamar Jackson. Now this is a sixth season or whatever it is. And I know he's a electric dynamic guy, but still, if you say Baltimore Ravens, what comes to your mind? 
right? It, to, for me, it's defense. And so they just laid an egg, and I don't, I don't understand what happened. I give, I give they listen. If a guy's open, you still got to find him. So it's not like you know, it's not like they, they, the Dolphins didn't do anything because they did. But would you have imagined going to that game that Tua would have thrown for four hundred and sixty-nine yards? Four hundred and sixty-nine yards. Unbelievable. Now, it is. And and this this kind of I, I this is something I've been thinking about because I don't know if you caught it leading into week two, but Tuagi at a press conference, very refreshing guy in my opinion, because he's he's blatantly honest and he talked about his height being a negative, being a, a problem because he's six one at best, and you've got guys six foot six to six foot eight right in front of him, your offensive lineman, and then the guy's coming at you. So you imagine like like the wall of people that's coming on him. And I don't know if you caught that press conference, but I loved it because he was saying, you know, if it reminded me of, uh, of, of coming up on the highway on a truck, and it says, if you can't see my mirror, I can't see you. Right. And, and he was saying in that, that conference, you know, my receivers, if they can't see me, I can't see them. And the adjustments, finding lanes. And I think this has been an adjustment for the receiving core and, and Tua. Because, Pete, in your opinion, I know you're a sports guy. You, you like all sports. What is the most important? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to phrase it to you this way. What's the most important position in all of sport to you? Well, that's... Uh, it's a broad well, question. And I, I yeah. haven't asked you to it before. But, but what do you think? Well, I mean, we're assuming a team sport, obviously. Yeah, right? sorry, in a, in a team, in a team sport. Yeah, I mean, I think it's either got to be quarterback or goaltender, depending on the sport. I, I agree with you. I, I, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. But there's been one team. We've already talked about it here today. There's been one team to win a Super Bowl without a quarterback in history, and that's because they had one of the greatest defenses of all time. Yeah. Everybody talks about the 85 Bears, but I think right there beside them, in all honesty, was the 2000 uh, Ravens, okay? So other than that, how many teams have won Super Bowls without a quarterback? Well, yeah. it's I mean, Yeah, like I don't, think the there's, I don't think there is one, okay? We won't take the time to do it, but I don't think there is one. Have NHL teams I, – I I'm right there with your thinking about the most pivotal position. Have NHL teams won – a Stanley Cup with a good, good goaltender, not great. I think one team just won it this past season. Definitely. You know, you yeah. know what I mean? So so yeah. without getting into the hockey aspect. So for me, for me, the most pivotal position in all of football is, uh, sorry, in all of sport, not only football, is the quarterback position. And, and thinking about the week that was, looking at Tua and looking at uh, Kyler Murray, in Arizona. I don't know if you caught any of that game. But here's two guys that are, and, and it's like Drew Brees was. You never talked about Drew Brees's height or lack of because he was he was that good. But I'm going to tell you, the thing that really was, was compelling to me and interesting to me was how these guys, especially Murray, in uh, getting that two-point convert to tie the game right there at the end, he can't see. He can't see. There, he, he doesn't have the height. 
And these guys are throwing into windows where they expect the receiver to be and need the receiver to be, and they're putting it right there. I was just so impressed with those two quarterbacks. And then when you looked, you know, in thinking about what Tua was saying at that press conference, about what it means, like if you and I go out to a field, right, and we're playing pickup football, we don't have this problem. We, we don't have this the, the, these barriers where these yeah. guys are at the top of their game. And I think, again, this is what is excelling my point about them being the most pivotal position is because they're doing things that we're not even really aware of. They're, they're throwing into windows when you're six foot one and you have to you have to see it and and put it there without actually seeing the end result. You'll go in and you'll read the or watch the tape and you'll see it, but you never saw it when it happened. You didn't. You just heard the crowd. It's like, ah, we, we did it. So it, it's just been amazing to me to watch these guys with that type of mindset, to watch them put up the numbers and and do the things that they're doing. I I, I give them full credit. It was, it was really entertaining for me to watch them do that. Yeah, and really, you think about it, the, 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 the fix to that is, well, you just got to send Tyreek or Jalen Waddle 50 yards down the field so you can see them. <laughs> So you can get the ball to no, I kid, but yeah, no, definitely, I, it's a huge. When you think about it, all those offensive linemen, uh, and even the defensive linemen too. But those offensive linemen, we're talking six five, six six, six seven, sometimes even taller, and you're standing behind this mass of humanity, and you're yep. right, trying to pick out your player cutting across the field <laughs> to make the pass. It's, it's, it's very difficult. It, yeah. It's it's crazy, but they they they're doing it consistently. And you're, you're, you're talking about the height. I was talking about it too. But think about those guys, 310, 320. So not only, they're brick walls, right? Like like if you've ever come up on a guy that's 6'6", you're like, wow. But a lot of the times to me, they're they're skinny. But if you're adding weight and they're they're filling out sideways, now you got height <laughs> and now you got width and you got to find an alley where there's nobody. So, you know, there's there's no offensive lineman, there's no defensive lineman, there's no linebacker and you put it in there and it's it's an amazing thing. I just I've always appreciated the quarterback position, but watching those two guys especially this week and what they accomplished, I was really really impressed. I was deeply yeah. impressed. It, it's uh what do you what do you think about like the thing is, is with Tua, he's getting better. He's obviously working very hard. But what's with this throwing motion? Does it when you watch him throw, does it give you confidence the ball's going to go where it's supposed to? Well, it is very unorthodox, and it's it's common knowledge now that his his father or his uncle, he was right-handed. He was a right-handed natural naturally from birth, and they taught him to throw left-handed and forced him essentially to throw left-handed. Yeah. Uh, that is bizarre to me. I still don't really understand the the meaning behind that or why you would ever do that. Uh, I saw something very interesting the other day, and someone on Twitter had flipped the video, uh, reversed it, so it looks like two is throwing with his right arm instead of his oh, left. Oh, you know I mean? okay. Yeah, I know exactly. And, it's a mirror shot, yeah. Yeah, it's a mirror shot. And I got I to gotta admit, because when I see him throw as a lefty, I'm like, man, that just really looks weird. It yeah. almost looks like a fall-away sidearm you know, kind of a thing. But from his right, if, when it looks like he's throwing it with his right, it doesn't look so bad. <laughs> Is that right? Okay. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting to me because the only other person that I've seen throw with a more unorthodox style 
than Tua, and he was sincerely and honestly, I don't have to emphasize this, his accuracy and consistency was all over the place was Tim Tebow. And there's another right. left-hander, right? I remember yeah. – I didn't. you watch college ball. I don't, okay? Yeah. And I remember watching his first game because I thought, okay, Tim Tebow, let's see. It was in Miami, okay? It's in Miami. And he's playing for Denver, of course. And he's left-handed, which we all know. And I, I started watching the game, and the first pass I ever saw that guy throw, Tebow, he did a rollout to his left, which for a left-hander should be easier, right? He's got a running back, seven yards in the flat, and he threw the ball into the second row of the stance. And I, I was like, and it's not raining. It's a beautiful day in Miami. I thought, oh, <laughs> the ball must be sweaty or something. And then you'd watch him complete a pass, and then he'd throw another one. So – I mean, his consistency was nothing like Tua's is. Obviously, Tua's gaining some ground, gaining some confidence. But uh, that I love what you said there about uh, the mirror shot. That's very interesting. It could be, again, you know, we're not used to a lot of left-handers in, in the NFL. Certainly not a lot of successful ones. Yeah. And uh, when you, you see Tua, that, I would love to see that clip. That's very interesting. Yeah, I can, I'll try to find it for you. I I will say though that throughout the game, Tua did throw. It's you know it's forgotten because he threw for four seventy essentially and six touchdowns. He also threw a couple of interceptions, and both of them were pretty darn bad. Uh, and those two deep touchdowns, as great as they were, and I don't like to knock Tua, I don't want to, but they were defensive breakdowns. You talk about what were the Ravens doing? They were defensive breakdowns, and if they they hadn't broken down, I mean. Tyreek Hill can get behind the defense in his sleep, right? But it can still be contested, especially when the quarterback underthrows the receiver. And he did that both times. And had it not been a broken coverage, those would have been contested balls. Now, maybe Tyreek comes down with it. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he runs it in for the touchdown. Probably he doesn't, uh, if those are contested balls at least. So, you know, I, I did see some continual cause for concern with regards to Tua, but I like the scheme. I think the scheme is going to put him in a lot of positions to succeed. He's an accurate thrower, but yeah, we'll see. Is he going to be a guy? I, I have to admit, because a lot of people will say, and I, you know, you know how these quarterback classes are. They ultimately get compared one to the other. And of course, Justin Herbert went right after Tua did to the LA Chargers. And I, I think honestly, if Herbert was our quarterback, we'd be pretty near darn near unstoppable. On offense with it at this point at this point i would totally agree with you yeah i would so but i like to i really do and i hope he's successful i I don't think you necessarily need an elite quarterback to win a super bowl but you can't have a guy that really holds you back either no you you need a good you need a a very like i'm that good is not good enough you need a very good quarterback because it in the playoffs you need a guy to make – we saw that with Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati's mm-hmm. line last year was Swiss cheese. And Burrow is that good that he can overcome that stuff. Yeah. So if you've got deficiencies, you definitely need somebody who's really good. But if you've got a solid team like Miami's offense, I think it's fair to say we've seen enough to say that they can be a very good team. I, I just, What I really like about that game from Miami is the confidence, right? Because he's struggled. Tua has struggled. But you have a game like that, it says to everybody, including himself, I can do this. I knew I could, but now everybody else knows. Right. And it's going to be interesting to see how they, they piggyback. Now, another thing, another question that's been kind of driving me nuts a little bit this year. 
And I want you to be as objective as you can be because I, I already know how you feel about this player. But in five years from now, okay, five years from now, if he retires at the end of this year, and all indication is he will, what do you think Tom Brady, what is his legacy going to be five years from now? Well, it, it can't go down, can it? I mean, he's he's done so much in this league that I don't think there's anything that he could do that would tarnish his legacy outside of something off the field. Uh, in terms of what he's done on the field, you really can't argue with his accolades. I think, uh, and I was actually along these lines of quarterbacks in general, talk about breaking the meta. And what I mean when I say that is quarterbacks who understand how the game works and basically almost like the matrix can operate within the matrix with almost complete fluidity that they know the answer to any problem that pops up around them. I think there's only a few guys in the league, Tom Brady being one, Aaron Rodgers being another, Patrick Mahomes, a third and Josh Allen, a fourth. I think those are the only four quarterbacks in the league right now that have broken the meta. And in terms of Brady, I mean, he, he broke it long ago. <laughs> and, yep. and uh, you know, he's he's won everything there is to win. I mean, what can you say? I mean, he's he's going to go into the Hall of Fame with his first ballot, and he deserves to be. And listen, I, I agree with everything you just said. It's just in the last two weeks, what I've witnessed in the games that I've seen him play in, and I, I look at this in the perspective of of – Football is a game of passion, and it's a team game. And, yeah, we all want to wear the jersey with the guy that scores the touchdowns or the guy that gets a lot of sacks. We don't wear the jersey with offensive lineman numbers, at least unless you're family. Uh, You don't see that walking down the street. But the one thing that I would say about Tom Brady is I would love to know the truth about that locker room. And I would not be surprised. I'm talking about Tampa Bay. I would not be surprised in the slightest if there is a wide array of people, teammates of Tom Brady's that wished he had stayed retired Mm. from, from a year ago. And I say this because the intensity, I understand the passion and I understand the intensity, but I see Tom Brady holding everybody accountable everybody accountable for their mistakes, mm-hmm. but nobody holds Tom Brady accountable. You don't touch him. You're not allowed to. Yep. And to me, okay, I'm just looking at this, not only from the result point of view, but more so from the locker room. Okay. I just don't, I think that if they were 0-2 or 1-1, and and so my point is this, if they run into some losing, you'll start to see the truth. Winning, winning solves a lot of things. We know this. Yep. But from what I'm seeing from his actions, and it just seems to be increasing from week to week, like this past week, throwing the helmet out of frustration, picking up the tablet, throwing that. Like, you know, yeah, you guys were having a tough time in that, that first half against New Orleans offensively. But it just... It doesn't sit well with me. If I'm in that locker room with my personality, I would be very inclined, especially if I was looking to end my football career and saying <laughs> I've had enough, to go up and just label them. Just cold cock them right in front of everybody. Because I think he needs to come down a notch. 
I know he's won seven Super Bowls. I think he's accountable for four of them. I think he got extremely lucky. <laughs> extremely lucky. Hey, yeah. He still won seven, so you got to give him credit. But yeah. my point is yeah. this. He won four, three. You'll never see anybody win one Super Bowl in one of those scenarios again. I'm talking about the tuck rule. I'm talking about Atlantic choking the all-time sports like a Spygate and um, what's the other one? Oh, and, and, and Seattle with Marshawn Lynch in the backfield yeah. saying, oh, I think it's a good yeah. idea that we throw on the one-yard line. I don't think he he earned those four, really and truly. I think there was other things besides his talent. He won four. I give him credit because that's a lot, right? That's that's yeah. fantastic. But it's the man. It's the man. I I think if you see Tampa start to lose, lose a couple in a row, we're going to see problems in Tampa. I, yeah, I think no, they could lose the locker room. I could, I could see that. You know, the one thing that Brady hasn't had to deal with pretty much his entire NFL career is adversity. He, he's had it real good. And, and oddly enough, you know, you can bet your bottom dollar that if he chucked a tablet in New England, he'd be hearing it from Bill Belichick the next day. You know, <laughs> they they do have adversity this year. They've got some injuries that they're dealing with. Big time, uh, big time. They lost some players. Their defense is getting a little older. You know, his his targets, they brought in all these guys, but guys are getting hurt and now suspended. Evans, Mike Evans is going to be out of game. And, you know, Tom Brady's bat, going to bat for him in the media, of course, because he wants his target out there on the football field, and he knows it's going to be tough without it. Uh, I've said this before what goes unnoticed about Tom Brady's career. And I think something that a lot of people will easily forget. In fact, I think a lot of people have already forgotten is that Tom Brady has played behind one of the best offensive lines for pretty much his entire career. And it's not the same five guys, but while he was a Patriot, which was the majority of his career, of course, that offensive line was elite almost from the time he started as a quarterback there to the day that he left. There was very rarely, and I've seen so many Patriots games, I can attest to this firsthand knowledge, but these are the guys that don't get the credit, right, in the team game. Nobody ever talks about the offensive linemen and how well Mm -hmm. they blocked. (laughs) It's all about the quarterback or even the running back. But, boy, I tell you, he so many times he was just back there having a cup of tea and uh, never moved off his spot, you know, never threatened – just able to deliver the football with ease. So, yeah, no, I, I do give him a lot of credit for the quarterback that he is. But I agree with you. This is going to be your testament. From a fantasy perspective, this was the year I decided to jump off the Brady bandwagon. They say in fantasy it's better to jump off a year early than a year late. And for me, this was it. I wasn't taking Brady in any pool this year because I had a feeling that this could be the year, if there was ever going to be one, that Brady might not be at his best. I think that will be the case after two games. I mean, they're they're sitting there at 2-0, and but I, I think it's a bit of a, a false look. You know, I, I really I don't think they're a 2-0 and team. I think they're a little bit fortunate to be 2-0, and you know, to run into the Cowboys in week one, and Cowboys weren't really able to do anything. You had Dak get hurt. And then in week two, you know, just that. I mean, that was a close game with the Saints until the end. And uh, I think they got a defensive touchdown to help yep. them pull away there. I, I just, I don't, you know, they'll be a contender because I think the NFC is a little weaker than the AFC this year. But uh, I do think they're going to face their share of adversity this year. And it will be very interesting to see how Brady responds to that. Well, I, I just, I think if, if there's any losing in Tampa 
And Brady, who has just escalated this, to me, the best word to describe it, and, and Aaron Rodgers, I think, is guilty of this as well, is this, this diva, this I'm better than you attitude. And it just makes me personally sick. I couldn't play with a guy like that. Like, I, I, I would rather take a guy, and I listen, I want to win, and I know that's what it's all about, but I'd rather take a guy with the attitude of like a Dak Prescott who has yet um, won anything, is still looking to prove. But to me, when I watch him, he is a leader because of his character. And guys still want to follow him because they are hoping beyond hope that this good guy will lead them because they really, really, really like him. And they really, really see him work hard. I mean, where was Brady for 11 days during training camp? I think that adds to it as well. Where is this dude? Like, our quarterback is not here. Like, I know he's Tom Brady, but I don't care if I'm a rookie or a five-year guy. That would not sit well with me. Well, talk, talk about something else that wouldn't have flown if he was still in New England. I mean, can you imagine well, Belichick giving him 11 days off in training camp? Uh, I don't like, think so. Like, give me a break. Like, I, I just I think this is a recipe for disaster. And if they don't keep winning, they're going to realize their recipe is a disaster. And I know they're 2-0, and and I know they're still talent. I know it's still Tom Brady. But if it starts to go south a little bit, the anchor is there to hold it, to pull it down quick, I believe. And so if we're talking in week 16 and the, the Buccaneers need to win week 16, I know it's not the last game of the season, but they've got to win this and next week just to make the playoffs, wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, because there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that we don't see. You know what I mean? And there's there's teams that have won that have hated each other, but they're far and few between. Mm-hmm. And you need cohesion. You need respect. You need so many different things. Talent doesn't cure all things all the time. And when you're an injured team, like you pointed out right now, that the Buccaneers are an injured football team. They've just signed um, Cole Beasley to their practice roster. Yeah, I'm... This is this is part of the what's going on behind the scenes. I'm really interested to watch because if they they hit the wall, I know I keep saying this. I'm interested to see what happens because I think if the truth were told right now, is we're sitting here talking to one another, there's a number of unhappy guys right in that locker room, and two and zero keeps them silent. Three and five, maybe not as much. Yep. Uh, one thing I am pretty sure on, and it may not be this year, it might be next year. But this Tampa Bay franchise will crash and burn because yep. not only are they in win-now mode, their their window is coming to a close. Yep. Uh, I personally think this is going to be Brady's last year. I don't think he's playing beyond this year no matter I what I really happens. hope so. Win, <laughs> win or lose. Yeah, yeah, win or lose, I think he's done after this year. And that defense is aging. It's getting older yep. and older. And as well, their offense. I mean, you've got Chris Godwin and, and Mike Evans still in their prime. But again, to, to the tail end of that prime, they're going to start to decline in the next year or two. And this whole team is set up to just be absolutely blown up. They have nobody coming in behind these older players. So I, I really, long term, I think they're going to be in trouble. This is really their last chance. And I, I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl this year either. But this is their last chance to do it, I think. Yep. No, I, I'm, I'm. Hundred percent in agreement with you, right there. Now I know I've I've taken a lot of your time here tonight, but it just it just bothers me. And we've talked a lot about that, but it just I'm not impressed with the person, to be honest with you. But I don't want to I don't want to cut it short. 
what's your like? As I look at the host of games, that Green Bay Tampa game, just for what we've we've talked about coming up this week, that's intriguing to me um, for that reason alone. But what else do you got that uh, that looks interesting to you for this week? Well, I think you got to look no further than the Bills Dolphins game. This is this is a massive game. I mean, it really is, yeah. And again, oh, going yeah. back to the parody, you know, there's only six teams in the NFL that are two and zero after two weeks, and four of them play in the East divisions. That's Buffalo and Miami in the AFC, and uh, the Giants and the Eagles in the NFC East. The Bills have had our number again the last few years since Josh Allen, especially, hit the scene, and they and they haven't just been beating us; they've been throttling us. You know. As a fan of the Dolphins, I'm just really hoping it's a close game, obviously. Well, hey, listen, like it's, it's coming off a big win, like they did, against a team that, wow, the Buffalo Bills. We haven't talked about them this week, but, man, you talk about compiling a team together that, mm-hmm. you know, they you are expecting. If, if the Buffalo Bills do not make the AFC Championship game at the least – it's a huge disappointment when you got a team like that. And talking about what we're talking about, just look at Josh Allen, the way he handles himself. There is a leader. There is a talented leader right there. I'm very impressed with that young man. I I, I think he is the number one quarterback right now as we sit and talk to one another in the NFL because the intangibles, they're still, you know, once in a while we have a bit of a brain fart, I know, but just – that's the guy. If somebody said, pick one player to quarterback your team, number 17, right away. That's who I got. The bottom line, though, is for the Dolphins is that if they want to win this football game, it's not the offense that I'm worried about. It's the defense. And yeah. and that said, and I don't understand this because this is one of the more talented defensive rosters we've had out there since the old Jason Taylor, Zach Thomas days, is we have a, a really good defense. You know, I would, I would stack our defense up in terms of talent just – about with any defense in the league right now. But for some reason, the Bills always seem to just break through and and they come through that like gangbusters. You know, they're just all over us. And so whatever we've done in the past, we've got to do something different. We've got to find a way to slow that offense down. I think we will score points in this game. But the big question to me is, can we hold Buffalo? Can we hold them to say under 24 points or under 27 even? You that know, if it's huge. a high-scoring yeah. game, I, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't want to see Buffalo going for 30-plus on us again. Yep, yep. No, hey, listen, it's in Miami, which I think is a benefit to Miami. I think that place will be rocking, which will be, again, a benefit to them. But I'm really intrigued. That's my game of the week to watch out of interest and to see what's going to happen. Uh, the other games that are of interest to me personally are the bounce backs. So what is Baltimore going to look like this week after what they did? What's Vegas going to look like after just a crushing defeat, you know, to have that late touchdown and the two-point convert and then the fumble in overtime to lose it? I mean, that's, you know, boom, I get up, boom, I get up. And each time they were trying to, you know, come back, they got smacked. So what are they going to look like? That's that's a huge question uh, question mark to me. And we've already talked about, you know, what's Tampa going to look like against Green Bay and what's Green Bay about? So there's a lot of elements because they look terrible, then they look good. So what are they about? Um, So those are the games that that I've looked at that I think are most intriguing to me. I I will say, just in closing, from my point of view, KC early, looking really good, looking really good, doing a lot of good things. 
were they up against top-notch teams? I'm not going to say they were, but just the cohesion and Mahomes being Mahomes, very, very impressed with what's going on there. Yeah, and I got to say, conversely, uh, the Eagles look fantastic. Yes, yeah. Um, I, I want to forget them, but you're right. You're right. And yeah. I just, and I was so impressed. I was watching them play against the Vikings on the Monday Nighter there. And I really like the Vikings this year. I really think they're going to make a lot of noise. I said perhaps uh, prematurely, but I'm going to stick with it. I actually think the NFC North is going to go through the Vikings this season. I think they are wow. the team to beat in that division, even though they looked terrible. Yep. In that Monday night game, and, and Troy Aikman really pointed this out on a number of occasions during the broadcast, but he could not believe the lack of adjustments being made uh, from the Vikings to stop the Eagles or at least slow them down. The Eagles just walked all over them. I don't think it's going to be that easy. for They do have an easy schedule, so you know what? Actually, who knows? But yep. the scheme, I was so impressed with the scheme because Jalen Hurts, it was, yes, he's playing really well and off to a great start personally, but... It was easy for him that game. Yeah, I mean, was. there was guys was. wide open all over the field. He was passing it at will. Bottom line, though, is the Eagles look great. It's the coaching, it's the players. It, it's all gravy for them right now. We'll see. I, I expect them to beat Washington again this week, but we'll see. Well, if they don't, that's a huge upset. But the one thing about the Eagles, yeah, they were passing at will, but the thing that I think has improved greatly for Hertz from last year to this year is the consistency of his accuracy. He was passing all over the place because he was like, boom, 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 boom. He was he was firing darts all over the field, and I've never seen him do that before on a on a whole. If you if you look at the the body of a whole game, and you would never have seen Jalen Hurts be that accurate, but he was just he was looking like unstoppable because his passes were on the money time after time. So that's that is a big win for Philadelphia. Not the game score I'm talking about, but seeing the maturity of this young guy, they they might have something rather special in Jalen Hurts. Yeah, and I'm just going to circle us back to the Lions. The Lions are in Minnesota yeah. this week. And again, I think that's a huge game because I think they're both going to challenge the Packers this season. And one of my favorite guys, both in real life and in fantasy, because I, I had him, I had my eye on him from when he was drafted in the fourth round at a USC, is Amon Ross St. Brown. And here's, here's a stat on Amon Ra that it really helps things to stand out. He is now tied after week two. He is now tied with Michael Thomas and Antonio Brown as being the only three wide receivers in the history of the NFL to have eight-plus catches in eight games. Wow. Eight-plus wow. catches in each of their – in eight games in a row. Just a right. staggering statistic. Yeah, uh, Jason Kelsey and Anquan Bolden both had seven games in a row where they had eight plus catches. Amon Ra is now there with Michael Thomas and Antonio Brown with eight. This, and I, and this is you talk about players that you love. I love guys who demand the ball, not like Terrell yeah. Owens demands the ball yeah. by talking, but demand the ball because of how they play. Yeah. And he demands the ball because he runs every route with conviction. And he, he wants that ball. You know, he might not be the primary receiver on the route, but he's going to run that route as if he is the primary receiver. And those are the guys that demand the football. I love guys like that. And, man, I'm so glad I got him on a couple of fantasy teams this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we've already stated, you know, it's only week three, but there's a number of games that intrigue me, and I'm going to look very forward, very much forward 
to seeing, you know, how these things play out because it's, it's just another piece in the puzzle of how the NFL season will roll. Yep. And I'll look forward to having you back on the podcast next week to talk about these things. Week three is coming up. Pittsburgh, Cleveland. Who you got, Colin, tomorrow night, Thursday nighter in Cleveland? It's 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 tough, but I'm going to say Pittsburgh. Well, okay. Yeah, you know what? I thought I might be going the other way, but I am going with Pittsburgh as well. It will be a close game, absolutely. That uh, Cleveland Brown run game is just nothing to sneeze at. Uh, they could. If they get ahead, they're going to be tough to beat. But I'll, I'll take Pittsburgh to meet the challenge this week. Who do you got? Let us know. We'll see you on the flip side. Enjoy all the action this weekend. Until then, take her easy.